so this is the first oh it's a freaking alarm you gotta turn off all your alarms that's what i realized this is the first 2017 podcast i'm trying to record um i tried to start this up in 2013 but didn't have a lot of luck just because i was lazy and i couldn't figure out how to get it online and hosted and on itunes and all that other shit but now i'm kind of enjoying uh enjoying this experience so i have jackson larue a good friend of mine uh, we went to europe last year for two months and had a good old time and last night i was telling him how i wanted to get one of those alarm clocks that uh like over 30 minutes illumines your room and so you naturally wake up i'm on this mission to wake up early um is that why yeah that's that's really why i'm just trying to wake up before six from now on i want to get on a good habit of just waking up at like five what if you just religiously woke up at seven when the sun comes up but that just have your window open but there's not enough light in my apartment yeah and it depends if the sun yeah i don't know i i like those i mean we used it in finland remember i kind of remember um but recently i switched i have this this is the new phone i have and it had you know <clears throat> for the alarms it just has uh, pre-selected sounds yeah and so whatever they have on this phone, it's actually way more peaceful, like 10 times more peaceful uh, than my old phone. Really? So, I don't know. I don't feel like I need to get that I just don't, sun alarm. For me, at least, in Finland, it kicked me out. Like, it woke me up so well uh, that I've been thinking about it for a year. Just, like, how nice it was to wake up over 30 minutes, just, like, realizing something was different in the room, whether it be sound or energy or whatever. And energy being like light photons so we're, we're sitting in Berkeley at Phil's and it's kind of loud but we couldn't really find a good place to sit so we're on the second story little I don't know gazebo whatever the hell you want to call it I'm on my way down from uh, Sebastopol heading back to Glendale uh, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna go look at some uh, look at some uh, canyons with Gary tomorrow <laughs> really yeah has yeah. he been hunting this year? I, I he he has been, um, like he's on his his big kick. But I'm gonna I'm gonna like this place called Cattle Canyon. We want to like hike up into I've it. I've heard it. I've heard yeah. about it last year. That's where he broke it. his <laughs> he broke his wrist. It was a really bad break. But there's a lot of like interesting wildlife out there, so we're gonna check it out. I was listening to uh, actually a buddy of mine told me that there's like in San Gregorio, San Jacinto. The, like in the wintertime the bighorn sheep actually go down to the like base of the desert and I've only hiked those areas in the in the winter so I've never seen the sheep so I'm really antsy to see the sheep this year so I'm gonna go up there probably next weekend or the weekend after that if I don't go to the, see the eclipse like I really want to see the eclipse but I also realized with the eclipse is that Oregon's gonna be burnt out like fi it's fiery like you, you sent me that that's a thing yeah it's happening yeah it's happening next week but the thing is like Oregon's on fire and you drive through Oregon and you can't see the sun and I heard there's gonna be a lot of traffic so now I'm thinking what if I go up to Oregon but then drive to Idaho because I've never been to Idaho <laughs> weren't you just in Oregon I was Is everyone talking about this eclipse or no I didn't ask anybody I didn't, I didn't even think about it we were at Crater Lake and you couldn't see uh, more than a mile the visibility was so bad I think if you really wanted to see that eclipse you would just go cross your fingers it's kind of like in Finland. We didn't know whether we should go look for the Aurora Borealis. 
Oh you yeah. Never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Finland. You just have to go for it and try. Yeah, exactly. But in Finland, we were thinking about like making a a two day trek up to the north. No, we were even thinking longer. We we're thinking going to the very tip of the world, <laughs> Finland. <laughs> And crossing into Norway and going onto little islands just to see if we can see anything. But then the chances of you seeing them are, are kind of rare. And nobody tells you that. It's like, oh, you're just going to go see the Northern Lights. No, it's like actually kind of hard to see them. It doesn't always happen. Um, so we just right. we decided that we're going to make another trip to Finland and do it next time. Take the train up. Uh, but we did go to Russia at least. And I still think Russia was one of the coolest places I've ever gone. Because it's like you're, you're kind of forbidden to go there as an American almost. It's like not cool yeah, to go there. no one goes. Like what was your favorite part about Russia? Um, to put you on the spot here. <laughs> you know, I've been asked a thousand times, what's my favorite part of the trip? What's the favorite part about this country? <clears throat> what was your favorite part? I think Russia just felt punk rock like it felt like there was a youth culture there that like defined the scene and then there was just like this generation that was just living and they were just happy to just be living but the youth just didn't feel like they, they wanted to be so much more than they were allowed to be and I really I felt very close to that you know it's very introspective <laughs> <laughs> I mean the art scene is really interesting I mean the, the entrepreneurial spirit of the younger generation is much more hardcore than we, we had a local um Oh, Mariam. Mariam. Yeah. She took us into the apartments kind of outside of the city, uh, St. Oh, Petersburg. Yeah. The, like the projects, like worse than the projects in America, but like everybody lives in them. It's For like, like authentic <laughs> Russian dinner yeah. at some old Russian people's house. Yeah. It, it was like, that, that, like, I almost cried that night. It was like a life-changing experience just hearing stories about like, you know, persecution from the south in the time of the Soviet era. You know, the tra- like the travel up from the south all the way up to St. Petersburg. And and these people live in these like communist era apartment buildings. So gloomy, so dingy looking, small. It's tiny. Hu- these are huge buildings and we went up to like some random floor. Like eighth floor. And the apartment was like filled with people, old people, yeah, like and 14 small. people. And, and like extremely small. The room and dimly lit. Yeah, dimly lit, <laughs> terribly lit. It was really dingy. And then like some young punk, like some young like gangster just smoking a cigarette at the bottom stairwell. You know, as we're trying to figure out which building to go into because only the locals know which building's which. You know, and they have to climb up these old rickety stairs and there's like the flooring's like falling apart. That was weird to me. Like the floor was sunken. Did we did we climb upstairs or do we have an elevator? I can't remember. Oh, I took stairs. Did you have an elevator? <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember. Okay. I mean, even in St. Petersburg, like... We went up a lot of stairs. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, and we stayed at this place called the Soul Kitchen Hostel. If you go to St. Petersburg, you need to stay there. It's like the cutest little place. Highly recommended. Yeah, and just, it felt very communist era, like shared space. <laughs> but, like, a lot more artsy and cute and just friendly I don't, I don't know it felt like there's this book called the the old mountaineers Inn or something like that i can't remember what it's called have you read it yet nope it's this russian novel it's about this guy who, i don't think you told me about it I, t- I told you i told everybody about it no no like the the something mountaineer Inn. i don't know what it's called really i forget 
but it's about this guy, this detective, who goes on a ski holiday, and it turns into this big, like, conspiracy, and there's, like, robots and aliens and all this really random stuff. And it's this Russian dude, he, I think he wrote it in uh, 1960 or something like that. The Great Mountaineers in, I, I can't remember for the love of me, or life of me, or whatever. You know, and it's a goes. autobiography? No, or no, it's it... not. It's a, a fictitious... Fictitious story, and it was like a censored, like it was during the time of censorship. So he had to like be very careful about how he was putting together his his uh, narrative. I, I really I feel like I should look at, look up what it's called right now, but I don't want to touch my phone because we're recording this on the phone without any freaking microphone or anything because I'm still figuring out how to do this right. You, you know what I want. Like, you know what I was thinking about uh, on the, the drive down? Um, you know, I told you about that, that shelter, right? Which shelter? The, the shelter, like the um, seek outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, those, those are the ones you want to get. Right, but I don't know, like, I want to spend the money and get it because I want to have it for when I go to Wyoming. But at the same time, I'm like, should I just rough it for in Wyoming and just risk the chances of getting like rained on or snowed on? Because it's so much weight, and like the other tin I have is like five pounds, and this would cut my weight in half and be a much bigger shelter, and I could put a freaking fireplace in there if I wanted to, like a wood stove. Well, that's the big lure. You like the size, the weight, and it has a little stove. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to figure that out because I'm only taking. Andreas, does your audience know? you're planning on doing later this year? <laughs> no, they don't. They probably won't find out for a while. Uh, but, but you're going somewhere cold. <laughs> going somewhere cold. And woodsy. And woodsy. And I'm taking my buddy Dennis up, with, or he's pre pretty much, he goes on this adventure every year, but this year I'm going to go out there and we're going to secure him a, a nice little prize. Um, but he's a little older than I am. He's in his uh, 70s or 80s. And I don't think he can hike and keep up with me. Well, I know he can't. Which is okay. Um, so I was thinking about like separating for a week or two, kind of coming back together so we can cover more land. I like the idea. Did you just say separate for a week though? Yeah. Like, I don't know, be on a radio or like... like <laughs> that if would I, be if, so cool. If I'm on top of the mountain, I can text. Because if you're on top of the mountains, usually there's signals still. Because it's all such high country. But uh, no, it's like not like LA where you're at sea level and then you're at 10,000 feet in Baldy and you have no signal. It's like everything's at like 5,000 feet, and then you're at 10,000 feet in the woods. So you, you still have that bandwidth. Um, one of the things I was thinking about too is the, the fact that, uh, oh shoot, I almost forgot what I was saying. Damn it. All right, we'll come back to that idea because I can't remember for a long time. Hey, should we hold the phone like this? I, I don't know, let's test it. So we're gonna try it with me holding the phone because I think the audio kind of dimmed down a little bit. I wasn't paying attention to it. I really gotta figure out this uh, mobile recording option. Um, I was just, what was I saying before I paused? Well, we were talking about tents and hiking. Oh, oh, I'm, I was gonna say what wilderness. I'm gonna carry with me. So I'm gonna carry uh, yeah, a pair actually, of pants. Why don't you explain your current outdoor hiking adventuring setup? All right, my current setup is this. And I'll, t I'll give you feedback on what I think. All right, so for this trip though, I'm gonna tell you what I'm using. For this trip, I'm gonna have a pair of boots, two pairs of socks, two liners for the socks, which I really like, um, a pair of pants, a pair of rain pants, 
thermals for that pants, thermals for my top, uh, a shirt, a like long sleeve merino wool shirt. All my stuff's pretty much merino wool at this point, other than the outer layers. Uh, a jacket, like a hoodie kind of like zip up jacket, and then an outer layer like rain jacket. Um, a beanie, probably a boonie hat, uh, gloves, a couple um, buffs, and that will all be on me, except the rain gear. The rain gear will probably be in my, uh, kept in my pack. I'll also probably carry uh, some uh, gaiters with me, like heavy duty gaiters, just so I can kick through the brush. So th those will probably be on me at all times. So what goes in my pack will be shelter, food, sleeping bag sleeping pad and a little medical kit and also i'm definitely bringing a mosquito kit on this one what is the you like mean? like the the thermosel yeah I'm, I'm just like not gonna live without that from now on it's extra weight but it's good enough and i can get that packed down really light and i'm also gonna get a bear bag instead of a bear canister this year just so like if i need to leave my food anywhere overnight i can hoist it yeah because it's, it's like a kevlar bag and now it's like also only weighs like eight ounces and that way I can uh, keep my food together. Cause one of the issues that I've been having is I don't keep my food together and it gets like broken up and it gets like mixed out and I just want to keep it all like really tight. So I want to compress my bag. This is going to be more than a week long away from resupply. I, I want to plan on it just in case I can get like, if I, I don't want to have to turn around at any point. I want to have at least like seven days of, uh, of uh, food on my back so I don't have to turn around. Oh, obviously That's I have my cool. water, my water filtration. I'll probably take a Sawyer this time and a UV pen because it's so light. Um, but I think uh, I also have a, a new bow. Well, not new bow, but like I have my bow. My bow is all tuned and set up, and I have uh, new arrows. I just switched to a longer, heavier arrow that shoots really quiet because my other arrows were uh, pretty fast. They're shooting like 300 feet per second, which is insanely fast. Or actually, if I'm gonna be quite honest, it's 296. Um, that's pretty good. It's that's really fast. But my my my, my current setup's 100 grains heavier, um, but and longer. But it's shooting at uh, 274, I think it was. What's the draw weight? The draw weight is 74 pounds. 73 to 74 pounds. It depends on how new the string is, or how broken like how broken the string is. Um, but that thing's shooting like a it shoots so hard, um, so I'm gonna carry that with me. And I obviously, on my, I have my binoculars and uh, a bino harness and uh, I don't know, rangefinder and a knife. And you think this is gonna be a light setup? Yeah, it's gonna be light. Like I've, I've, it's gonna. I want it to be 40 pounds. Like maybe 40 pounds without the bow. No, with the bow. With the bow? Yeah. I mean, that's how much I carry when I'm up in NorCal, and I think it can do the same. Because in Wyoming, it'll be, probably be a little colder, so I'll be wearing most of my clothes. You know, I'll probably be sleeping in more clothes and stuff like that, too. Um, that's kind of why I wanted that new shelter. Uh, and then one of the things that I am considering... Oh, I got those Birkenstocks, those rubber Birkenstocks. Oh, I'm, yeah, definitely, nice. I'm definitely bringing those. <laughs> definitely. Is, hold on. Is this supposed to be snowy, though? At some point, it will be snowy. If, if, if it goes into October, it's definitely going to snow. Which I'm not prepared for in terms of like shelter. I don't have a shelter like I would want to be in the snow in. Because I usually, I don't use shelter unless it rains. That's the only time I use shelter. And even in snow, sometimes I don't use a shelter. Um, 
just because it's just I don't like carrying it and I suffer like I'm always cold every night and that's why I upgraded to a uh, Thermarest like Neo Air the X-Therm and that thing like reflects heat it's it's warm you know uh and it's quieter yeah isn't it quiet yeah it's pretty I kind of remember it's pretty quiet compared to like the other higher tech new i think the one i mats. was sitting on was more noisy yeah the the one you, you have it was just the rei budget one well, but it, you know, I, it's, I, it's an improvement for what i had before oh huge improvement i mean you, your gear is gotten a lot better recently too the the one thing you probably need the most is a, a good backpack i think that it would keep I you agree. on the trail a lot longer because the backpack you have now is just garbage and it just the weight distribution also just the way it feels it's just you can't be a good backpack <laughs> you really can't yeah i agree i like the one you have but carbon fiber yeah even the one i have like i, I i'm considering getting another option as a second pack for what? my dad <laughs> For my dad oh. yeah yeah so like so, some other brand i want to, i want to try different brands just to have like an experience of what because i think different packs will also do, suit different needs like the pack i have will suit all my needs it's a little it's a little ultralight actually now that i have it it's like i realized there's like some strap features i wish i wish i had that i don't have but yeah. i can always change that up but it's the main thing is just to feel like i uh feel like it's just really well balanced Especially when you're hiking all day, it's a huge improvement from your Kelty. Oh yeah, huge, huge! Like, like when I put that on versus the Kelty, I can put so much more weight and not even tell a difference. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we came, to, we sat down here talk, to talk about our trip, <laughs> <laughs> but we're immediately talking about the outdoors. That was, yeah, that was one thing we didn't do. We didn't we didn't do that many outdoor activities on our trip. There's not a lot of outdoor it was activities. A city trip. Yeah, it was more a city trip, and honestly, there's not a lot of stuff to do outside in Europe. I think. So we came back from Europe and we did a bunch of outdoor <laughs> stuff to get our fill. Yeah, it's like to go outside in Europe, you it's like all manicured, I feel like, or hard to access. And also it's just it it's a different culture. It's not as rugged. Yeah. It's like we would have had a brought other things too, but yeah, I think we at the time we wanted that city metropolitan urban kind of trip. Yeah. We did. We got it. I mean, we didn't have gear for going on an outdoor trip. I, I think that was the decision we made to not, because we were going to be gone for a while, we just decided to not carry a bunch of stuff with us so we wouldn't use that often. Like, the first decision we were making was, do we go to Asia or do we go oh, yeah. and rough it? Or do we go to Europe and <laughs> live do like whatever kings. that entails? <laughs> yeah, we, we, left, we live like kings for sure compared to what we could have been doing in Europe. But I feel like it was, I mean, uh, Asia. Yeah. I, I think I'm happier with the fact that of how we did our trip to Europe versus how we could have done a trip to Asia. I wouldn't want to be. Do you want to go to Asia? I kind of still do. I've already Maybe gone. I've already Thailand. gone. You've been? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been to Southeast Asia, but I haven't been to like Thailand and Vietnam and like where everybody goes. I, I you know no, I don't I didn't I don't want to do those. I want to do like I mean, Malaysia. We we're thinking about going to Myanmar. Oh yeah, Burma, <laughs> Myanmar. Yeah, I think that would be fun. I also, I'm not sure how I feel about it sometimes because if the one thing I don't like about roughing it is like the the type of travelers you meet is very different. Like you meet people who are 
trying to travel hardcore like backpacking and like hosteling and all that stuff and I'm not really into that crowd as much you meet a lot of nice people but you just it feels very repetitive after a while you meet the same people doing the same things if you're looking for adventure you kind of have to actually get away from that yeah at least I think so um so like Korea was fun because I had like civilized places to stay but I could do whatever I wanted to and I didn't have to like engage completely with travelers all the time which was nice you feel like you're at home more and I like to travel and feel like I'm at home just so I can experience things I would normally experience but in a in a very different perspective I'm way more adventurous when I'm when I'm in my comfort zone than I am when I'm like staying at this place and like having to get on that bus and like do all that stuff like I feel like it just consumes me more than it it would otherwise you know yeah a good example of that was we stayed in Vienna for two weeks okay you don't push it that close (laughs) um and we kind of like had a base camp and we did all sorts of things in Austria yeah that was was cool a good deal same thing with Finland that's how we got to Russia right very nice friends and family thanks to Sohela in Finland shout Shout out out. (laughs) she's probably traveling right now she travels a lot one listener yeah the one person to listen to this podcast please Sohela listen to this (laughs) Uh, that's funny okay I want to talk about this kabot so I got my kabot two weekends ago and then Andreas what is a kabot a kabot is a kayak boat no is that really how they got the name like kayak and boat yeah Okay, it's so it's basically a small zodiac, kind of the inflatable. Well, it's big. It's longer than a zodiac. Okay, zodiacs come in all shapes and sizes. It's a, it's a fort. Well, yeah, they do. It's like a, so it's a affordable, thousand dollar inflatable that can hold up to a ten horsepower motor, which I don't recommend necessarily after taking mine out. I have a six horsepower Evan Rude two stroke. Um. So it's it's a very affordable option. Well, it's a. A very gnarly truck to have in a no Berkeley, hood. California. No, no hood, no nothing. That guy's <laughs> hardcore as hell. Anyways, the Kubot is an inflatable that I I saw online and I knew I had to get one. Uh, and the the price I got it for was very affordable and a good option with the motor. So you wanted a boat. You wanted to be able to do what fishing, scouting, and free diving. Yeah, basically, I wanted something that was like. I can throw it together in 20 minutes and get in the water and get out and like go home, take it to Mexico, take it to the lakes, take it anywhere I wanted to go. We should definitely go to Catalina. <laughs> On the boat? <laughs> Dude, Suicide. no, we could, no, we could totally do it. If someone's accompanying us on a sailboat, we could go behind them or in front of them on the Cabot. It wouldn't be that bad. It, we'd actually get to Catalina faster than someone sailing on under power. Cause that thing yeah. rips. Like I got, I think I got up to 50 miles per hour, solo, mm-hmm. on a like a on Flat. a windy windy lake. Like, like it was windy to the point where if I killed the motor, I'd start to drift. That's the one thing I. I'm still figuring out how to handle the thing. I'm kind of nervous to take it out into the ocean, because it's just like I'm used to bigger boats, and handling boats with more horsepower, where you can like maneuver into a. A bigger wave and get out of there. When you're sitting, when you were riding on it, yeah. were you sitting on the side or were you sitting on the seat? No, I was I was leaning back on the seat with my arm extended behind me on the tiller at all times, and I just it was always gunning at full blast. So your weight was you think low would be able to handle waves or little? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Not waves, but no. Th- I mean, I think it could take waves, 
I don't think it can take waves sideways, <laughs> but I think like it, it can definitely take waves. It's it's a little scary. I'm I, I, like I think when I graduate, please film it next time you go out. I want to see it. Yeah, dude, totally. Next when I graduate in a couple of years to a bigger inflatable, I think I want like a, a gnarly two. Hard bottom. No, not a rib, but like maybe a rib actually. A rib with a uh, like a dual motor, so it's like something like the military would use. <laughs> I just need to sell a film or, you know, sell my body. I haven't decided. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the kibbutz, it's kind of scary, actually. Like, it took me, like, three or four times to, like, figure out how much air needed to be in it. Because what would you decide? Just fill it super I, tight? I fill it up to where I can hear that it's filled up. So you can hear the pressure changing, right? You can hear the pressure change. Like flick the side. No, no, no. Like when you pump air in, the air pressure, like the air, is so condensed. It sounds different at the beginning versus okay. at the, versus at the end. And now I know that sound. And you want to keep it really, really rigid, especially when you're, when it's like hot, because the water will cool it down. So you actually need more in it than you think you need. Mm. And that's kind of scary. You're like, oh, this thing's gonna explode. But then it cools down when you're running it, and uh, the hull can actually the transfer, transom can actually yeah. like start to bend on the back with the motor weight so if it's not really rigid like it runs poorly at full at full throttle oh yeah i mean it, it felt really cool <laughs> i had i had like so this, you went and then you went back and filled it up a little bit more yeah yeah and uh you know the funny thing is i actually like i was being passed by like guys with like hundred fifty thousand dollar boats and i definitely like a bunch of girls on their boats and they thought they were so cool and like some of them were teenagers and shit but i definitely knew i was the coolest one out there <laughs> like i had the least investment the cheapest like the highest miles per gallon you know like you didn't have any girls though no girls <laughs> probably better you know anyways um now it would have been fun to have like janae on the boat but the first time I went out, I really wanted it to have, uh, like, have at it alone, just in case something went wrong. You know, like I had to figure out if to make sure it like really worked the way I wanted it to work. Yeah. Um, but I, I just feel cool having something with such a low investment, and you can just have so much fun because you can do the same thing. It takes a little bit longer than these other guys, but you can go anywhere they go. You can pack it in 15 minutes. You don't have to, like, worry about all this other shit. Like, all this stuff breaking or, like, you know, where you're going to store. I can store it in my closet. That's that's the cool thing about a, uh, an inflatable without, a, like, non-rib. It's, like, it, it weighs 40, 50 pounds. And I can just stuff it in my closet anytime. And so does motor. I can put that whole thing in a unit. I can put it on top on my uh, on my Yakima rack. So what's the first thing you're going to do with it? I'm going to take it out in the ocean. Yeah. I'm going to ocean test it, get in my wetsuit and, and go out in the seas and see how gnarly it is and do a dive from it. Do you have an anchor? No, but I think I'm just going to get a kettlebell. Okay. Like a, like a 15 I pound kinda, kettlebell. If you get a lighter anchor, that would probably hold better than a kettlebell. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the boat is so light, the kettlebell will just like give it enough resistance. No, but I'm saying you could get an anchor that's lighter. Than a kettlebell? Than a kettlebell. But holds better on sand or something. Well, I think the from from uh, a friend who also has a kibbutz who I met on Instagram. <laughs> did you slide uh, into his DMs? I did. I slid into his DMs. Um, he 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 says that like an anchor. I mean, a kettlebell is just it's enough. It's gonna sink right down, 
an anchor might not necessarily do it. I'm sure it'll hold fine. Yeah, and then it's also like you don't want to point any things on the boat, you know? That's another good point. Yeah, so I have, to, I have to figure out. The biggest problem is that I can't stick the vinyl onto the boat. So like the, the, the CF numbers and the tags, I have to figure out how to put them on the boat with like maybe Velcro and uh, vinyl, like, like what's it called? Like laminate. Like laminate all the like uh, legal documents or like legal numbers and stuff yeah. and then laminate and put it on the boat that way. Yeah. Or can you put it on the engine? No, you can't. You can't. You have to have it in the front uh, third of the hull. You know? Yeah. Um, which was an issue because it started to like coming apart when I was in the water. So I had to go back to my car and get some Ziplocs and uh, I put it in the Ziplocs and tape the Ziploc bags to the boat. So I really need to figure that out. So I can just like rip it off and put it back on. Because then when I'm in Mexico, I don't need to have that stuff on either. You know? Who cares if it's on? Well, I don't know. I think it'd be cooler to not have it on. Like <laughs> the fact that you have to have that on, like register your like your little inflatable boat is kind of annoying every year. I thought you said you weren't going to register it. I had No, you have to register it. You're illegal. It. No, no, no. I'm saying like in California and in the States, you have to. In Mexico, it doesn't matter. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think it'd be a fun Bay of LA boat. You know, mm-hmm. you go spearfishing, go diving, shoot some underwater footage, which I'm kind of, I still want to get an underwater rig. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to, to like figure out when they're going to release the newer cameras. I'm afraid of buying an old camera and older housing and it being obsolete in a year and nobody wants to buy it off me because I'm definitely not going to keep it. You know, I have to shoot what I want to shoot with it and then get out. GoPro. <laughs> GoPro, GoPro is a good option, but it doesn't really? have yeah, but it doesn't have the same kind of depth and quality. It would look like a GoPro video. It wouldn't look like a. There's got to be some Chinese. I know there's a lot of GoPro knockoffs. Aren't there any good ones that don't do the full fisheye, don't go crazy, just are good quality? Point, I guess point and shoot. Why don't you get up like a point and shoot style? Well, you can't. You, deal. you can't like control focus and aperture. Um, you can't control like depth and speed of how it's captured which is how you can create a more cinematic look you know you can tell when something's a gopro yeah Um, i mean it's old yeah i mean there's a lot of cool videos on gopro and i'll probably want to get gopro attached to my uh my engine (laughs) on the kaboot just to like always kind of see what you're doing like how you did it with your sailboat yeah like that's cool but uh you know you know what i need to do though i need to get lighting for the boat I need to figure out a way to put portable lighting on there and like have batteries and like just so I can be seen at night. Because if I take it out at night, it's a legal thing too. Yeah, you have to have it, obviously, but it's also safety. Like you, I have to, I have to figure that one out. But for now, I'm just happy to have something that works. <laughs> like have a inflatable that actually works. I love how we went from <laughs> the full range of spectrum. <laughs> oh, what else is there to talk oh, about? There's actually, I want to talk to you about that because. Uh, I sent Jackson an article about the the weed busts that are happening in the Sierras right now and all across California. There's like thousands of thousands of thousands of pounds of marijuana being busted. And with that marijuana comes a lot of like very toxic waste. Like waste so toxic that it can pollute the wildlife area for for years pretty much. That's that same motorcycle. What is that guy doing? He's doing laps. <laughs> so I'm like, Jackson. So these, are, these are grows. Illegal grows. In the woods, on public land. And private land. 
they, they don't discriminate. They don't. They don't care. The article's point was, if I'm not mistaken, there's waste and pollution caused because what they don't want to. No, no. Dump. So like, here's the thing: when they don't, people, the, these guys who are growing weed, it's mostly the cartels from Mexico. They they bring in people. They like force them to do the work. They 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 get all these illegal chemicals. They they all they want is the plant to grow as fast as possible with as much like marijuana buds as it can. Like to produce as much yield as it can. They don't care about anything else because they're not paying for the land. They're not paying for the the waste uh, they're creating. They don't. Yeah. They're not. They're not going to probably use it. They don't care if, how toxic it is or if it carries toxins. It's a temporary setup for them. Yeah. Much. And every like every other year, like they'll probably get two years out of it. You know what I'm realizing? These kids might be too loud. We we probably let's pause and let's watch back. Like I feel like they're gonna take up a lot of the. I agree. All, All right, we're gonna pause. Check. All right, so we're back. We uh, moved into the car because everything else was too loud. Uh, so let me sum up that article again. Basically, you got millions of acres of national forest and uh, public land and even private land that are being basically run over, like taken over by the cartels who just put huge grows in. Like thousands of thousands of uh, pounds of like marijuana are grown. Um, they tap into water sources and leach every fucking ounce of water out of these like streams and springs. And, uh, you know, they pollute with illegal pesticides and um like nutrient rich uh chemical soil compounds um that are highly toxic uh the article that i was referring to uh for jackson to read what was saying they're like worse than super fun sites which they kind of are and uh we've we've known about these for years like in 2010 uh well i was at forestry camp uh with uc berkeley the one of the trips we went on we randomly just so happened to be in the middle of a drug bus <laughs> like the the sheriff pulled probably like ugh, 500 plants and had it in the back of this huge car like huge truck uh and they stopped us thinking that we were going to that site because we were on a van <laughs> long story short I'm telling Jackson, they want to they want to legalize weed in California, which they have. It's gonna be legal next year. I think we could add a tax to the legal weed, probably like thirty percent over market rate, that the buyer will end up paying because they want legal weed and make them feel feel better than getting it from their drug dealer. That tax will need to go back to clean up all these sites that have been polluting our soil and our water systems for years. Jackson doesn't like that idea as much. He's not very uh, eager to get taxed, even though this tax would not affect him because he does not consume any sort of marijuana. I don't consume marijuana either, but I do think the people who do consume it won't necessarily reject the idea of being taxed. It's something that they've been preaching the government could do if they allowed it openly and you know, free trade market bullshit they don't really understand. In reality, uh, probably about 10% of the illegal weed that's grown hits California's legal market. Most of it goes out of state. 
if we legalize it, we could ship legal weed, legal farms out of state, tax the hell out of that in other states, and that revenue come back to our state. What do you think, Jackson? And that money would go back to like restoring a lot of really critical ecological landscape. Do you think this tax will stop these illegal growing operations? I, I think. Or would you just would they continue, and this money generated from this tax would clean up and just perpetuate the cycle? I'm confused. So I think that if we can create a fund that would essentially allow monitoring of critical areas, it could prevent cartels from taking them over and putting establishing new groves. And it would allow us to clean up abandoned groves at the same time. Because you could bring in so much money and it doesn't the hourly to hire a police officer or some sort of monitoring system would be a lot less than it is to clean up the the abandoned grows well clean up abandoned grows is one thing but i think to stop them existing in the first place if you just legalize the you know the production and distribution of that illegal substance currently it would uh it would basically de-incentivize People from, you know, growing out there in the middle of nowhere. Well, the incentive is it's free land, free resources. So there's still an incentive to do it, but... I don't think so. Yeah, there is. Because there's, there's a risk. There is a risk. There's but, a but, risk, and, you know, as long as there's very few regulations, which is not going to be the case, but if there were fewer regulations and people could just grow them on their land, then... It, you would see a lot less. I mean, there's less people making moonshine and and all that stuff. Yeah. You get these big plant, you know, well, breweries. So and... so people don't want to grow their own pot, I think. Or no they one make... wants to make their own beer. Actually, no. I mean, certain people do, like the microbrew things, and like some people like to grow. But growing you growing your own anything is difficult, and growing your own quality anything is like very difficult. Yeah, but the basic thing is. Assuming it's legalized, no strings attached, there's going to be fewer people hiking miles out into woods to grow a small plot of land because it won't be as profitable and it won't be worth people's time. Those people who are doing it, though, are most likely always illegal immigrants that are shipped out here from Mexico by the cartels who are sometimes held against their will yeah, but and they, they could, these cartels could just grow it in their hometown and legally oh, in Mexico? Imp- import it. In Mexico? Yeah. Yeah, I think that... that just would... like you get imported anything. Yeah, no, I think if, if we did that, that would eliminate a lot of violence that is associated with the... With the... They ship their, their, their compadres up here because they don't want to have to probably deal with crossing any borders. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. It's a lot easier to move product around when you're already here. If it, if the United States or if the entire world decriminalized what we'll, we'll call drugs legal, I think you would have a lot less incentive to have violent acts associated with it. Cartels in general. Yeah, cartels in general. Like, it, it would de- de- like, de-incentivize them to exist. 
Because violence is not cheap. It's like it costs a lot of money to kill people, if you think about it. Especially with the ways that these cartels do it. Like, you, you know, the way that they were running in Mexico. All the people they had to pay. All this other shit. Like, if they, didn't have, if they didn't have to do all that, they would make more money on their drugs. Right? Yeah. So, that money that they would probably be spending, they'd probably happily pay some sort of... I, I don't even want to say tax, but some sort of, like, higher market premium to be able to go about doing their business more efficiently and with less hurdles. Uh, yeah. Why not for the short term legalize it, charge that 30% tax, reap that 30% gain, have it to a specific fund and have a fundamental plan that says this is how much money we're going to spend in the first five years, how much money we need to spend to, to re, rehabilitate the sites that are damaged. Okay. Yeah. Once those are rehabilitated, just closely monitor those areas that are at high risk have more people flying over and looking for these grows get get them like get these guys who want to grow out there give them a fucking hard time give them a hard time <laughs> like make it really difficult to do it because it's, it's it's damaging and nobody cares like people who do it don't care about the environment they don't care about the resources they don't care about the amount of wildlife that dies from polluted soil and water and it, yeah, well, to answer the problem of cleaning up these sites... There you go. <laughs> uh, they should... The government should sell this land to private owners, and they should then take care of their own land. No, I don't think that's a good answer. Because you're going to lose access. Like, I have a lot of friends in... I'll use Mendocino County. I have a lot of friends in Mendocino County. A ton... Like, everybody's a private landowner. There's no public land. Huge problem for me who likes to go hunt pigs everybody's growing on that land and it's so hard for me to get permission to go shoot a damn pig for food on their land because they want to grow pot on it and i'm talking about a ton of pot i'm talking about acres and acres and acres of pot because it's illegal it's not entirely legal for them to grow that much and, and they why wouldn't they want well, you on their property because to kill a pig? so a big part of it is that like they i think it's like a control thing too they don't want people to have access to the land just in case and also it's a, a liability for them in case they're getting flown over and they see somebody with a like a bow or some sort of weapon and then incentivize the federal government to come raid them okay so assuming everything was legal they'd probably open up their land more eagerly i don't know i don't think so because there's like people who grow and make it their life are kind of paranoid they're kind of always like that's currently, all I think. That's currently. all. I, no, but that's all I think about. Like all you start to think about is your marijuana. Like you, you have to babysit that plant all year long. If you have indoor and if you have outdoor for the whole, like for four or five months, and you always have to have someone there making sure everything's running perfectly. To me, I I do find that people who are growing in the city, like Oakland, who have big warehouses who are growing in Oakland, they're a lot less paranoid about it because it's more like a this is my business, this is, you know, it's like all on a timer, I have trust in employees, but when you're out in the country, and it takes people 40 minutes to access the nearest, like, paved road, you know, <laughs> um, those guys are much more paranoid, they like, don't, they don't necessarily like people as much, because they spend so much damn time alone, this is just my personal experiences. So, so privatize 
don't privatize the land? I don't want to privatize it. I think it's going to limit access. I think it makes it more expensive to access for sure because the value of what's on that land goes up. Goes up use ridiculous because people like people with more money who want easier access can afford to pay for it. I have I don't have that sort of income. I can't afford to pay that thousand dollar access right to do that. Maybe sort that's of what the land costs to use. It's more. It's it's representative of the cost. I, Liability I, cost, cost to maintain the land. There'd probably be more fruitful or plentiful pigs. I, okay, so some circumstances, yes, I agree. But there's maybe, also maybe something... you accessing this public land is not valuing the land to what it should be. No, I do value the land. You do, but having things open to the public, it's just undervaluing the land, probably. I think it depends on how you want to value something. What about those the Patagonia people that like bought all of Patagonia? Okay, I think that's a great move for them. The land was cheap. Why did these hippies buy all that land? Because they wanted to rehabilitate it, but they, but those guys probably aren't going to want... They're probably going to restrict how people access that land. Like there's no, sure. more, there's no more cattle ranching on it. Okay. Which is fine. I don't really care about ranching in that aspect. You know, I think it's kind of... I'm of the opinion that ranchers should not get subsidized rights to land access. I don't think that's fair. They should pay market value for how much that land is because it's a business. If you create a business out of some like public utility, you should pay the business cost of it. It should not be subsidized. If you're just there for leisure and just to like get away, it should be whatever. It should just be there. It should just you should just have access to it. You know? I get bitter about paying five dollars for parking. <laughs> Going back to the the selling the land where they grow, I mean that might be a good option at some point in the future. If there's some sort of incentive for those people to actually I'm gonna start over I'm gonna say if we sold off all the public land and it people were of the same mindset they wanted to just like alright we we know that this time of year we can make this much money off like hunting and fishing if that was the case the cost of accessing private land would probably go down Okay, across the country. Yeah, but well, no, I mean it would. You still have to pay an entrance fee. No, no, I'm saying that that cost of access would go down from from current public land. No, no, from current private land market. To private value. land, yeah, that's what I meant. Um, which would be great, and if they maintained it better than our government does, I'd be totally happy. I don't necessarily think that people are well enough educated or willing to pay people who are educated to maintain land. Like I think the Tahoe Ranch does it well. They're the largest private landowner in California. They do it pretty well. They're really expensive. I mean, it's $12,000 for someone to go hunt an elk or have access to an elk hunt, which is kind of ridiculous. But at the same time, you're so close to a major metropolitan area where people have that kind of money and are willing to pay for it. If you don't have that kind of money, you're more willing to drive to Wyoming. (laughs) Mm. You know? I think they do a good job maintaining it, but they're also not showing a profit at this point so like their, their share value they're, they're a publicly traded company their market value is going down which might disincentivize people to invest in it and keep that management plan going because they're not they're like their extract, extractive resource market like they're not making as much money as they were 
So if you have a bunch of investors who just want to make money, they just sit in LA like, I want to make my money versus people who want to access it, it could limit what what's opened up. But actually what's happening with them is they're opening up sections for just for different types of leisure. It's still two, $3,000 a year to access that land, which mm-hmm. is not that bad. I mean, if you if you if you're in the market to buy land close to Los Angeles, that's a great option. I want a mountain bike. I want to have unlimited access to go backpacking, take my kids somewhere that's like pretty well maintained, still pretty easy. That's not always crowded, you know, but still like have a beautiful area. Three thousand dollars a year is not that much. Really think about it. It's not the cost of ownership of land. Just the taxes alone are probably so high, you know. So it's a good option for those kind of people who don't want to own property but do want to have land access to like a well-maintained resource. But you're proving my point here. I, I I know. I'm saying there are certain cases that they do them well. Um, <laughs> let's go. Where were we going? I'm, I I know I was proving your point, and I I'm being very selfish when I say that I don't want to pay that, but I don't have that access. You know, I don't want to get rid of public land access because I'm just like, what's going to happen? It's not the Tahoe Ranch buying it. It's some dipshit who wants to do... You don't know what's going to happen. I know. Amazing things could happen. There's no plan when it's that way. I know, but, like, I just think about, like, uh, ranching industries who'd buy land and not want people to access it. And actually, like, the ranching industry, I feel like, doesn't want uh, natural resources like elk and buffalo ranging on their... Or sheep. Like, I know for a fact they don't want that. They don't want the competitive... uh, herds of wild animals <laughs> eating their feedstock I'm afraid of ranchers buying public land because like you you don't get access to that you really it's just like it's so impossible I'm afraid of like extractive industries like mining uh, getting access to the land and just destroying the landscape for a low dollar yield I don't know so to further prove Jackson's point I'm going to bring up something else uh, which I recently found out about. With all the drama that's been happening with the public land bills and all, I mean, uh, save public land and all that other shit, I found out about the American Prairie Reserve, which is really fucking cool. Uh, basically, it's like organizations buying up all this private land that goes up for sale and taking out the fences. Make, they're basically doing what the guys of Patagonia did, but they're doing this in the middle of the country in like. Uh, I forgot, maybe it was Montana or something like that. I don't remember. Or Dakotas or something. They're just letting it, the ecosystem become what it was when, before the Europeans uh, established their um, homes, like homesteading and shit like that. That's so cool. Okay, basically, well, What's their mission statement? They, they're, they're, can people go on that land? Yeah, or? they can access that land. They're basically buying up a bunch of land to create this like American Serengeti. Hmm. Which apparently we had. I didn't realize any of this stuff. And like I heard it on, like the Meat Eater podcast, and I started doing more research and and slowly just like started figuring out like what we had. I don't know a lot about the middle of the country. Everything east of the Rockies, like in terms of natural resources, I don't know a ton about other than like forest. But I I don't know a lot about the ecological history for bio, like the biology of it. I just I just never had access to it, so I never really cared about it. Um, there's your documentary idea. Why don't you go and... <laughs> what? Dude, there's a bunch of people documenting that right now. Really? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, I actually, I followed the American Serengeti people, and then, oh, the 
American Prairie, and they followed me back. I was stoked. <laughs> they have a super small following on Instagram, but it's really cool. It doesn't cool. sound like everyone's documenting them. No, no, but, like, I think if you, you should go look at the American Prairie Reserve. Follow them on Instagram because it's really cute. Like, sometimes they'll take buffalo photos and, like, prairie dog photos. It's, just like, really funny. Mm. Like, if if you had a bunch of competing organizations who all wanted to do that sort of deal who like wanted to like make a Tejon ranch all over and lower the cost of access that could be a really good way to distribute public lands because it would also open it up to like renewable resource extraction which i i approve of i love logging i think logging is amazing i think we should do more logging for sure especially in california with all the fire issues we have that's contrary to people's belief people think when you are logging an area I mean, isn't there some statistic where forests have grown larger due to logging or something like that? Or, like, so, logging companies are smart enough to know to, like, replant after? Yeah. And it's, like, renewable? Well, okay, so the whole controversy around logging started in the 60s, or 50s and 60s, when people started realizing that, like, Northern California had an old-growth forest and all this shit and like people from like San Francisco moved up there and like wanted to save all these big giant trees because they were having spiritual uh like emotional relations with them <laughs> like old growth forests are these magical environments we logged the hell out of them because essentially like there was a huge demand for that lumber and it made sense to um at the time then you have these people like basically like the tree huggers come in and say don't cut down any trees you gotta save all the fucking trees and you, you know you, you basically extracted everything that was like spiritual and conscious and I don't know like they basically like humanized trees sure I, I don't know the real word like wording I want to use but essentially they like created this illusion that we're cutting down the forest which in some parts of the kind like world they are like in South America they, they kind of are but they're also a lot poorer than we are. I'm not going to start on that topic yet. Uh, one of the things that changed is that we started planting more trees, which we always had done. So there's a difference between Western logging and Eastern logging. Eastern logging pretty much is like plantation logging, which we've been doing since we we came here. You know, we've been like clear cutting and replanting, clear cutting, replanting, just because that's like how this country was built. Then we come out west. We see these massive trees that produce a million times more lumber than the east. Mm-hmm. We start cutting them all down really quickly, you know, as the country starts to expand, the industrial revolution. Uh, at some point, there's very limited old growth forests. Some people notice that and they put this high premium on old growth because there's very little left. Logging companies started to, you know, re- reforest. You know, you have second, second growth and third growth and, uh, a lot of the bad media that came out of it was the fact that like you should not cut down trees because they're all getting cut down which nobody realizes they're only cut it like they were talking about old growth most of these companies that were logging had already replanted had like had already like replenished a lot of those areas mm-hmm. and also there's just like a really weird thing to go to a forest that was once there and see like thousands of acres cut away from it like clear cut it yeah. just feels weird to see that right yeah. But that's essentially what happens when a fire run runs through there, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like all all those trees are dead. But it's, it's essentially instead of like burning them, we we extracted them. 
so then they started figuring out ways to like trick people <laughs> which is like kind of a bad way to say it it's not actually tricking anybody but like selective harvesting is became a, a bigger thing because it looked better and it also it also did uh it also has different ecological effects so like selective harvesting is great too but there's all these really interesting management plans that have le- eventually led us to where we are now where we have a lot more trees that are like good they're great you know um it's the lumber quality has actually gone down because we aren't cutting down the same kind of tree like old growth trees they're so valuable because of how long they had to mature and if they did fall they were sitting out there for a long time the, you know the, lum- the timber like lumber was really good and that's why people like in construction love old growth the newer stuff like we just want to turn it around so much faster so you don't let it sit out there and dry out you know uh see the wood's like wet when they mill it and then it dries out in in a uh oven and then it kind of warps so like quality lumber has gone down but there are more trees because of the forestry practices that are are existing now there's Um, nothing stop it's just consumer preference if if people really wanted a, a company could potentially dry the wood out in a higher quality way yeah but it's more expensive of course yeah and people yeah. don't like that sure so people don't want to pay for it no they don't okay yeah they don't want to pay for it because it's more expensive and or maybe the difference in quality of wood while it is worse doesn't really affect the final product as much as depends what you use it for right sure if you're making like a centerpiece table I don't even know what, what kind so, of so you don't want about. warped wood when you're doing framing at least I don't want things that are too warped um and I don't want moldy wood. Like so you get a lot now. You get a lot of moldy lumber. Um, I don't want that to. If I'm framing a house, I don't want that shit. I want premium lumber. If I'm if I want my house to last for a long time, I want straight, long, like solid, like dense pieces of wood. Unfortunately, that doesn't exist as much anymore. But the forest products industry has come up with like smarter ways of doing things, like creating like wood I beams which are actually stronger than just a, like, long stud. Hmm. Um, so as things evolve, we always get smarter. That's, like, part of the process. And that's eventually how we got back to more trees. We planted more trees, you know, which is actually, like, kind of not always a good thing. You don't always want to have a ton of trees in a forest. You do want to have, like, you do want to be able to thin shit out. And unfortunately, we do have forest practices. Like in California, you have to plant 300 trees per acre. doesn't matter where you are. doesn't matter what kind of trees they are. Like, you know, what kind of forest it is. If it's a coniferous forest or a pine forest or a, a redwood forest, it's always 300 trees. They plant those 300 trees until they get to a certain height and they, and they pull them, like a couple years later. That's a waste of uh, resources, if you ask me. Like forcing these companies to plant more trees than the land should have you know, if we're trying to mimic an old growth or trying to mimic like a healthy forest is a waste of money. And by wasting that money, these companies have to, are incentivized to figure out how to pay for that. And that's also why they're they're harvesting trees at a faster rate. Mm. It's also why they're not letting them sit out there because they have to make up, like you're you're talking about slim margins because the land ownership cost is expensive too. They have to pay property taxes on that land. You know, they have to pay like $120,000 a year to each forester they have. And all like the marketing and all this other shit. It's like hard to run a logging business. They have to pay loggers forty thousand dollars a year to cut down trees, which is getting, which is not a lot of money, right? Um, but then, 
it's it's just tough. I don't know. How, I mean, I keep talking too much. You got to talk more. <laughs> I'm talking way too much. I'm getting tired. I never talked this much. All right, you got to talk more. <laughs> Actually, I should probably get going because it's like we've been at this for over an hour, and I have six more hours of driving to do. But you're gonna cut this down to like 15 minutes. No, I'm not. I'm probably gonna let it like just. I'm probably just gonna unedited it like, like leave things unedited <laughs> do you have anything you want to say any final thoughts or words for the minuscule amount of listeners that are going to listen to this um no I think you pretty much covered everything <laughs> you just did not talk at all <laughs> there was no planning for this no talk. there was no planning not that there needs to be but yeah this is generally how Jackson and I's adventures exist Oh, there's a bunch of bros coming by. I'm going to pause this for a second. Marilyn Manson. Yeah, I mean, regarding podcasts in general, there's a lot of different styles. You know, we listen to some podcasts that um, are very focused, very topic-based, a lot of econ stuff. You know, the host brings on somebody who's an expert in an area. Then there's, you know the Joe Rogans, the Tim Ferrises, and the, it's kind of more open conversation. Yeah, definitely. Where do you see this going? I, I want to get better at talking into a microphone. Uh-huh. Uh, not have as many pauses or as many ums and mm and like yada yada. I want to get better that at like... It comes with experience. Yeah, I definitely need to record a lot more and be more conscious about my thoughts. It's, it's hard to do that when I'm having such a random conversation. And, like, I haven't, like, talked about it a lot. I, I'm not the best interviewee, but I would imagine going forward, uh, if you you should structure the conversation. I mean, you pretty much can talk about anything. I, I know you. Yeah. <laughs> you should think about who you're talking with and make, a like, a sheet of everything you know that they know or right. that they like and literally just bring those up and then... Then, then each conversation will be like representative of who you're interviewing. For sure. Everything you talked about is stuff you know we talk about all the time, and we do and we the trip and stuff. So yeah, I mean, this is generally how Jackson and I like entertain ourselves, anyways. So this is he doesn't talk as much. I talk more because <laughs> I ramble, and I rambled a lot on this on this recording. Uh, but he he's really he's actually a lot of his ideas challenge the normal everyday American uh, in terms of how to run the country how to exist how to have a happy and healthy economy very anti like don't tell him what to do necessarily I mean I don't want to be told what to do either but it's mostly like the forceful nature of how our government controls us without with while they're telling us that they don't control us like like property taxes i'm actually i fucking hate property taxes i hate the fact that you buy a piece of property but you don't own it ever because if you don't pay taxes they'll just come and take it from you they don't give a fuck yeah you never technically own property you don't own anything in this country anything you don't pay your car taxes they'll take your car away so you don't like you never really own anything I like when, when there's a, a tax cut yeah, or a decision to tax less, they consider it a government expenditure, which, which basically presumes that everything 
you own or make is the government's and anytime they decide not to take more money from you they consider <laughs> it an expenditure on for them yeah oh they're giving you the right to more of your money which is ridiculous like what that's just so I think backwards we get a lot I mean compared to other parts of the world we, we, we have it pretty good but we could have it better and that's something that people kind of protest when I bring up I I hold myself to a higher standard I know Jackson does I know a lot of people who do but a lot of the population in this country doesn't hold the government accountable for enough especially when the fact that they take our money like they 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 own you and they treat us like that too think about it like the laws that they pass they like I don't I have a problem with authority that in general like authority is just not okay to me I don't like to be told that I must do something I don't like ultimatums you know what I mean yeah and with that we end the podcast All right. <laughs> <laughs> later see ya bye